Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com, and you can find us on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And also don't forget that you can leave a rating or a comment on iTunes or any other fine platform where you listen to more to come uh please don't be shy let us know how you feel uh tell us how we're doing we love to get feedback as they say on tiktok hit us up yeah and hey calvin why aren't we doing tiktok how come we're not you know what i think we need a uh more to come tiktok account i think that's something coming in the 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 new year so more to come come on that yeah well i'm ready i i like to sing i like to dance i'm ready to tiktok well Um, heidi you can be in charge of our tiktok account Woo! let's do that all right uh the year in review. Looking back on 2019, um, uh, what, 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 why don't we kick this segment off? Um, but we're also going on this very special yeah. year-end episode, more to come. We are also going to look at the teens. We're going to look back at the decade that changed Calvin, Kate, and Heidi, yeah, and comics. It. Yeah, <laughs> comics as well. So, yeah, so this year and the last 10 yes. years. So here we go. Uh, and what better way to start it off than with uh, our annual... PW Graphic Novels uh, Critics Review, actually initiated by, by uh, Heidi McDonald many years ago and handed off uh, to Meg Lemke. George Takei's uh, They Called Us Enemy, his moving uh, graphic memoir of him and his family's internment in the Japanese American um, camps uh, by their own government in the 1940s, um, published by IDW. Uh, it is the top vote getter. Uh, uh, the PW Graphic Novels Creeks Review. Uh, the titles are determined by a panel. This year was thirteen the critics and reviewers. Um, uh, they called us enemy. Got five votes uh, to win the poll this year. But I think oh, there was a, wasn't there like a four way tie for second. There was a four way tie for uh, second place. And in fact, actually, if you look at the books involved, they actually <laughs> pretty much recollect, uh, replicate. PW Best Book. I, that's what I was going to say. It's very so, funny. It's like almost, you know, it's, it's a, like the DGA and the yeah, uh, Oscars uh, director's picks. It pretty much is. The four-way tie for second, uh, w- uh, the, the books that uh, received those, the, the four ties, the, the, the books that were tied are uh, Mira Jacobs' Good Talk, a really an amazing graphic memoir about uh, her family in the age of Trump. Uh, Chris Ware's Rusty Brown, uh, Eleanor Davis's The Hard Tomorrow, and Seth's Clyde fans. And there was a whole bunch of books tied to three books and two books. So. Yeah, you can check that out online and yeah. see the whole list. Uh, always uh, ch- cool to check out. Yes. Um, but I understand yeah. PW has another honor. Well, uh, this is actually kind of historic. Uh, I think it's the first time it's happened. Oh, boy. Uh, at Publishers Weekly. Uh, the every year there is a PW person of the year, someone who's had an incredible impact on the industry uh, in any number of ways. This year, that person is Dave Pilkey, the 
Uh, Captain wild, Underpants himself. That's right, the wildly popular creator of Captain Underpants, and more recently now, his graphic novel series, Dogman. Which seems to have become more popular than Captain Underpants. Which was, is it possible? I don't know. It's hard to imagine. <laughs> I mean, since Captain... I mean, Captain Underpants is about 20 years old, and they, it has more than 90 million copies in print. Oh, it's got a long ways to go. So it's got a long ways to However, go. However, I understand the new uh, Dogman book, which is f- called Fetch 22. Man, he has a way yeah, with titles. He publishes two books a year. Yes. Dog, the, the two books in... Um, in 2019, uh, generated about seven million sales. Uh, uh-huh. uh, Fetch 22, which went on sale at the beginning of January, his latest. You mean December? Uh, December, excuse yes. me, December, uh, the early December. Uh, a five million copy first printing. And how many did it sell? First this? week on sale, over three hundred and twenty-two thousand copies now, in a week. Now this, now these numbers are just, I mean, this is, we are talking about the biggest story of the year because, um, and I mean, it's also the decade, which we'll get to, but I mean, you know, I mean, Raina, I mean, we know well, Raina's queen, but you know, Pilkey's king. I mean, well, what, I mean, that's that? an insane number for any kind of book. I mean, really we're is. talking like Stephen King at his height oh, numbers. I, I, I mean, you know, John Grisham, um, you name it. That's you, major. I mean, Dogman started about three years ago. You could make the case that Raina probably should have been person of the year mm-hmm. three or four years ago. Yes. Uh, but, uh, Dave Pilkey rules the roost now. Uh, enormously popular. And look, he sells a lot of books, but he sells a lot of books because Children love him. He connects. Uh, he's empathetic. He speaks their language. He sneaks le- uh, life's lessons and, and assists. I mean, the last book, uh, the the um, uh, for whom the uh, for whom the ball rolled, <laughs> the more recent <laughs> book uh, was he went on tour. That was the Dogman Do Good tour. Uh, I mean, if you're not familiar with Dogman, he's a weirdly sort of surgically reconstructed crime fighter with the body of a police officer and the head of his police dog companions. You know, that is a ripoff of Alan Moore and Gene Ha's top ten. I guess but you continue. could say that. That's right. Yeah. You know, I wasn't thinking about that. But after um, a typical uh, Pilkey accident, uh, he was reconstructed, and he gets after it. Kids love him on multiple com- uh, continents. Right. So uh, congratulations to Dave Pilkey. Uh, he has created a generation of readers uh, of not only graphic novels, but books in general. So, I, I, I mean, I think that segues right into uh, really what was such a huge story in 2019. I mean, obviously, you know, Reina's Guts came out. This was also the number one book it came out with 75,000 copies sold, which is also a major number. Uh, yes, uh, These are major, major numbers. Yes. And this is, you know, I think Calvin and Kate, I mean, we've been sitting here, I think the book publishing world finally got it. Like, oh, yeah. these kids' graphic novels are here to stay, and they are a force to be reckoned with. And guess what? Everyone is jumping on the bandwagon. And <laughs> I hear, also, and not only that, but I'm hearing, like, books are going to auction. People are getting $100,000 oh, yes. advances for their kids. I mean, this has become... A money maker for creators as well. So Heidi, kids- Heidi, comics aren't just for adults anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> well said, well said. Well, yeah, you know, I just wrote up a, you know, all of the big publishers, uh, the CEOs issue a year in letter touting the year and what what's going forward. Carolyn Reedy, CEO of SNS. Uh, buried, not so, or not so buried within her year in letter is she immediately announces 
and look for a, a lot more graphic novels coming out of Simon Schuster Kids Publishing. We want to make sure we're part of this exciting and, new. And uh, who's heading up that effort? You know what? That's that I don't know, but we will. We, Is it we, Andrea there? Andrea is at Little Brown. Oh, that's which right. Which is for Ed Hachette. That's and right. So there's more to come on that. Basis so, too. yeah, because Simon & Schuster, they do not have a uh, graphic novel. Do- they don't have a... They did at one point. They they didn't do a good job of it, and they actually kind of shut it down. Uh, but I think that they're they're looking around and seeing that, you know, uh, we need to get back into this. As yeah. As well, well, I mean, just to, so just to jump in on this, I mean, every imprint... Yes. Got its own. So, uh, I mean, we knew uh, that Gina Gagliano, Gina the Genius, was going over to Random House. Yes. So she spent the year over there ramping up. Uh, her first books are launching, actually, yeah, at the start of 2020. Um, she hired Whitney Leppard from Boom to be her editor and Patrick Crotty from Piao to be her uh, art director. And then she also uh, hired the DC's kids yeah, line publicist, uh, Ned Nicole yeah. Valdez. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she kind of put together this all-star team. Uh, so that's at Random House. Um, Andrea... Colvin left Lion Forge, which we'll get to in a minute yes. in its own paragraph. Yeah. But uh, anyway, she ended up at Little Brown. I hear she's very busy there acquiring. Yes, I bumped into her, and I lost Andrea. I lost your your card and your email. So I, but I want to talk. I bumped over to an event mm-hmm. and said we need to talk. Yeah, and she she was more than. Happy I, I know so. my lunch schedule for early 2020 is so insane. We got to get this. Uh, Andrew Arnold over at Harper at Collins. Harper Alley, he, his new imprint, new yes. graphic graphic novel imprint. Uh, their books will be coming. Out later into and controversially, they're putting out books for adults as well. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. so they are in the, the Harper Kids line. He, they were very upfront about that, that they intend to do adult books as well. Uh, of course, first, noise, yes, the, the but they're not friend. for kids, though, are they? What? Are yes. street, street Noise for kids? Uh, young adult. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. not? Yep. Yeah. Um, and of course, a whole, uh, you know, you know, AWA, artists, writers, yeah. and artisans. Well, there was a lot of companies that were conventional companies starting up, too. Yeah. A- artists, writers, and artisans, which is Bill Jemis' return. Um, TKO. TKO started up. Um, you know, there's the terrific production, if they, you believe that's even a real thing. But, uh, you know, they keep threatening to do that. Uh, um, you know, Vault, you know, Vault also oh, announced yeah. uh, that they were doing mm-hmm. their own kids line of books called Myriad. And they hired Rebecca Taylor, who's a very oh, respected right. editor, to run the line. So they, they seem pretty serious. Did we mention Ahoy? No, we didn't mention Ahoy. I think, I, I mean, I think a lot of these companies were announced in 2018, but they actually started publishing yeah. books. Yeah, they and, didn't really do anything last year, but yeah. they're now, you know, acting. Yeah. And Ahoy actually might be the top new company. I'd say certainly in terms of acclaim, they, they, they got a lot of uh, positive feedback about yeah, their have. books. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. Uh, they also have like Mark Russell writing for them, who's yeah. like an insanely talented writer, so. So, yeah, I mean, we've just seen an explosion of imprints, platforms, uh, new publishers, independent publishers, lines, you name it. Uh, you know, on the one hand, it's publishers seeing a dollar. The other hand, uh, this is for real. Yeah. There's real demand and coupled with the need for a more inclusive and uh, diversity-oriented material. Uh, comics are playing right into yeah. that. So that was absolutely the hugest story. But uh, let's quickly run through some of the uh, the, the, the the headlines because. Uh, meanwhile, back at the ranch, almost every publisher was having some turmoil, uh, although some were having success. Um, let's start out actually at the top. Well, Barnes & Noble finally found a buyer, they right? Did. Yeah. Um, they were uh, acquired by um, – uh, wow, was this? It's a big holding company, but also it's the holding company that bought uh, Waterstones, the UK – 
uh, book selling firm, and that the CEO of Waterstone, James Daunt, will take over uh, and move to New York, apparently, to run Barnes & Noble, and, you know, changes will be made. Kate, you had something to add? Well, I was going to say that the mere fact that Barnes & Noble needs a holding company to buy it is going to tie right in very soon when we get to talking about our stories of the decade. Uh, yes, well, absolutely. But, um, you know, Barnes & Noble <clears throat> definitely uh, struggled in the, the decade of the teens. Um, meanwhile, over on the comic side, Diamond also had some changes. Um, they brought in the, the Steve Jeppy, the owner, bought in a new kind of fixer dude, and he kind of got like uh, Roger Fletcher the long time buying the... A VP, uh, he left. Uh, a bunch of people left, actually. Uh, a bunch of people that I hear got new titles that were actually demotions. And, uh, uh so, un- apparently, there's a lot of internal changes going on at Diamond. Um, they just announced a new box. <laughs> a new, a stronger box. But, um, you know, just the way they haven't changed their trade terms since 2006. So, uh, I think that uh, pretty much everything's on the table at Diamond and almost every retailer, comics retailer I know, is really waiting to see where that shoe drops. Uh, meanwhile, at DC, it was a real year of upheaval. All the changes there. This started out early in the year under the new, uh, you know, head of that whole division. She has a very long title, a very long title of her division. And I can't remember it. I have to be honest. It's Pam Lifford. And, um, the year started out with, uh, three senior executives being laid off at DC. Uh, the whole company being restructured into three divisions. And then midway through the year, it was announced that all their imprints were going away. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the more confusing. I mean, DC somehow was able to uh, grab headlines for good and bad reasons mm-hmm. all year long. Yeah, um, they, <clears throat> they, they launched DC Inc. and DC Zoom, their middle grade, and YA. spent like five hundred thousand dollars to a market million, them. By yes, the way, uh, yeah, who knows how much money? Yeah, well, we do know how much money. Um, with much fanfare, and actually, I think um, uh, most people supported these new imprints. Yeah, uh, and then they turned around very suddenly, almost on the eve of the books being released. And decided they were going to do away with the names anyway. So, but Calvin, I saw that you just wrote a story po- um, profiling Michelle Wells and some of the books I caught, and it said under the DC Young Readers line. So is that what they're calling it now? No, no, they, you, well, they, they, they <laughs> did away with DC Inc. and DC Zoom, right. but you know, that's what it is. That's what they are. So you I just mean, made that up? Uh, well, that's just a general catch-all. But He's I mean, categorizing them yeah. in that way. Yeah. That was just a general catch-all, which we do all the time when we just want to talk. Because middle grade and YA are almost <clears throat> always lumped together. Right. Um, if you if you don't have a name for yourself, then you will be, just be described. You'll be the young reader. Gotcha. But I gotcha. There, the need still escapes me to do away with the, these previous names, which were heavily branded and which everyone had embraced. Uh, and in, as I recall, at San Diego, it just ended up in a lot of confusions. Librarians, ter- of course, which was terrible, the, where the books are marketing to. You know, thought that titles were being canceled, and apparently they have not been. Yeah, and they're launching like fifty titles, and so apparently, which are actually doing well. Yeah, well, I mean, what I was going to say is, if they didn't like those names, why didn't they figure that out before they spent all that money? So my understanding is that you know Diane Nelson left Mm. DC, and Pam Lifford took over, and even though she comes from consumer products and has. Like, I think branding and licensing is part of her title. It, I've heard, 
I've been told, yeah, she doesn't really like brands. So, but, and some are what? like, oh, because they didn't like, she didn't like Zoom and Inc. She couldn't tell the difference well, between them, which, you know, she doesn't come from a publishing background. That's for sure. Because yeah. librarians sure know the difference between middle grade and YA titles. But, uh. Well, I mean, they're still keeping the distinctions, but they're just keeping them. I mean, they, apparently the only brand she wants to push is DC. Right. She didn't want these sub brands. Uh, to supposedly interfere with the consumer's understanding of where of who they're getting from, but since the, all of them were co- called DC Zoom and DC Inc., I'm really not sure what. So came my from. understanding is that also like they were trying to imitate Marvel because there's just Marvel, and guess what? You know, Marvel's very bad at launching they're brands, and DC is trade. great at it. Know. You know, another. Uh, I actually I learned a little bit about this at on my own industry gathering, and. Uh, you know, another, I mean, Vertigo, I mean, we could do a whole podcast oh, about Vertigo. We did. Uh, and we did. Uh, but you know, the other brand that got, uh, put down, uh, was Mad. Uh, one of the yeah. longest running, most successful brands in yeah. publishing. And however, I'm told it's still coming out. It's actually Mad is still coming out. Well, it is coming out with, um, you know, old material. Uh, Peter Cooper told me he's still doing Spy versus Spy. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, uh, it's yeah. all very confusing. It's yeah. very that super duper. DC rolls. So I guess we should, you know, we should just uh, give it the headline DC in turmoil and move on because it is in turmoil. So, mm. um, yeah. Well, uh, if we could look at another, uh, I think, uh, kind of important event um, in comics publishing in 2019, I think Square Enix uh, setting up its own publishing operation in New York City as uh, <clears throat> uh, under the direction of uh, Masaki and Shimizu. Uh, he brought in... Um, Layla uh, Acker. Uh, oh, that's right, which is something we haven't actually reported. But Layla Acker is moving from Viz to... Yeah, um, so she already did. I mean, and who yeah, else she, did yeah. he bring over? Uh, she He brought in uh, Tanya Biswal, who was at Yen oh, Press, yes, that's right. a longtime editor there, and a variety of uh, you know, publicity people. Uh, but I think that's going to be he, they're going to be an important uh, face for manga in New York City and in the, the nation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, Calvin, you mentioned that Abrams' uh, comic art celebrated its tenth anniversary. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, uh, um, hold on, I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. Okay. But yes, uh, Charlie Cartman at uh, Abrams Comics Art celebrated celebrated their tenth anniversary. Um, a clearly very important. Uh, hold on here. I'm trying to find. Uh, da, 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 da. All right. Well, but anyway, it was ten years. I can't find it right away. Uh, if you don't know about Charlie Cartman and Abrams Comics Art, you should. Uh, they've been an incredible force. Uh, among the books that they've published, uh, John Jennings and uh, Damian Duffy's um, uh, adaptations of Kindred and um, Parable of the Sawyer, which is coming out in January. Uh, 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 Jennings Megascope, his new um, multicultural imprint, will launch in 2020 as well. So, congratulations to Charlie and the Abrams Comics Art. They published both original comics and you know works of history and biography so, as well. Uh, uh, just a couple of other companies that were in the news for not as good reasons mm. in 2019. Um, IDW went up on the block. There was a lot of problems with IDW. Yeah. Uh, you know, they had some trouble financing their TV slate with their very popular Winona Earp show and uh, some executives coming and going. And then at the end, it was put up on the block, but has not found a buyer yet. Uh, not that I know of, no. Yeah. So, um, 
And I think we could mention also uh, the launch of the Comic Hub uh, POS. System. Oh yes, well my uh, secret, my yeah. secret favorite story. I yes. think that's really going to be be impactful. We've talked about it on earlier mm-hmm. shows, mm-hmm. but uh, this is this can be proved to be a game changer in the industry uh, because it will integrate point of sale data into BookScan. Yes. So uh, and allowing publishers, retailers, and fans to kind of see what's available, what's selling, reorder. Uh, it'll be good for marketing, uh, for projections. Uh, it could be a real game changer for the direct market. Absolutely. And uh, let's see, one other company in the news, Oni, that did find a buyer. It was oh, yes, purchased yes, yes. by Lion Forge, which owns the beat. So, so uh, I've stopped mm-hmm. talking right now. That was a major <laughs> event in the year. Um, obviously, uh, Oni has a long history. Uh, Lion Forge was ramping up and has become a major force. Uh, on the comics publishing scene, what, what did you? Want yeah, to jump in what your I paint? wanted to say is, is that this is interesting to someone who's followed both because their styles were very different all along. Although they're both acclaimed indie publishers, um, and a lot of Lion Forge's original staff was let go and replaced with Oni staff. So it was this weird, counterintuitive style of merger because normally. The company that's doing the buying and merging is the one that keeps more staff than the company being merged in. But uh, that's not the way it rolled this time. Well, there. Well, we discussed this in great depth on another program. Um, you know, Limeforge uh, was burning through a lot of money. It sure was. Uh, <laughs> uh, they were acquiring a lot of content. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, I, it, it, I think for most of us outside observers, uh, uh, it looked that they needed to get an experienced publishing hand in, in there. And they chose Oni. Uh, Oni needed, uh, some investment. And it seemed to be a marriage of, uh, two entities that were, had what each, the other one was looking for. <laughs> Lion Forge had money, uh, and Oni has experience in publishing savvy. So uh, we will see. Right, but it was unusual. I think it's, uh, it's worthy of remark. Yeah, with the smaller company uh, seemed to, seemed to end up in control. Um, but <clears throat> uh, you know that that it, that can happen. It's unusual, but hey. Yeah. So uh, we will see. We'll keep an eye on that and see how it plays out. Um, but you know, Lion Forge is still here, so it's only uh, some some things and some layoffs that they, they were announced actually did not happen. In, in, in any event, we'll, we'll keep an eye on them going into 2020. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was the year. A lot happened. But, boy, <laughs> did a lot happen in the teens. I yeah. mean, oh, my God. We have uh, a whole decade of yes. comics news. So we're just – we can't possibly uh, – we could just touch on some – again, some headlines here. But I do headlines think – Headlines and trends. But I yeah. do think the story of the decade was the rise of kids' graphic novels. Yeah, there's You no know, problem. I mean, just it's gone from – you know, I was interviewing – you know, spoiler – uh, I was interviewing Ross Ritchie and Matt, Matt Gagnon from uh, Boom Studios today for a future interview on The Beat and talking about that. And and Matt actually mentioned that when, you know, Boom was a big leader in yes, this, uh, but even back in the last decade. And he said that they were advised against publishing kids' comics <laughs> by uh, both stores and distributors. They were told Aww. they were really barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, well... How do you even respond to that? <laughs> um, <clears throat> not only uh, have that is that advice bad advice, 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what we have seen here, uh, both for reading in general, as we mentioned before with Dave Pilkey, as well as for just your bottom line, uh, the the we we we're seeing the creation of a multiple generations of young readers who love comics uh, and are using comics, in fact, to love reading across the board, and they will will. will be uh, listening to this podcast and probably paying my salary mm-hmm. for the next for the foreseeable future. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, y- you know, are all of these kids going to uh, uh, grow up and read comics periodicals? Probably not. But you know, a few of them are. I and think so. uh, yeah, and I mean, they certainly. Um, I mean, the the the, uh, the benefit that they have that we didn't have because we, you know, Calvin and I were kids who read comics. You know, we grew, we were old sure. enough to have read comics when they were kids for the last time, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, like we kind of had to create the world that we wanted so that when we got older, there was more comics for us to read. Yeah, but the kids today are don't have to do so much work; they just walk to the library or they and walk to the comic the shop store. Oh. And I came from the generations, one of the generations in between, mm-hmm. where I was like comics where parents are like I don't know is she old enough for comics not sure <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the world has done an amazing turnaround uh, and of course they can go online where there are no shortage of comics of all time. Seriously. Uh, yeah. Uh, all genres. Right. And I think one of the other big stories of the decade was, even though Borders went under in 2011, which shocked me, I thought that was like even longer ago. Man, that does seem like a long time ago. Um, You know what? At the beginning of the decade, the, the you know, the crisis of brick and mortar and bookstores, Borders closed, being in trouble. It's like people were like, there's not going to be any bookstores. Well, guess what? In 2019, independent bookstores are doing just fine. Yes. You know, comic shops are also, a lot of them, I mean, the, the, good, yeah. the good ones are doing fine. Yeah. yeah. Indie bookstores are, in fact, doing better than the chains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And bookstores are still here. I think yes. that's a big story. And they're selling graphic novels. They're, they absolutely are. And they've also, and the owners of any bookstores realize that they're not in competition with Amazon. Uh, and with the or, or with the big chains, they deliver. A well, maybe a little in competition. Uh, well, not really. And I'll tell you what, because they deliver a different kind of service, and they deliver a kind of service that Amazon can't deliver. They are they they are places for communities to gather. They are places for people to bring their kids. They are places for people who know the books, who develop relationships, and who in, who in, integrate themselves within the community that they're in. It, they, they they have a very different kind of model and a different kind of appeal yeah. than online retail. And I and think, oh, Kate, I'm sorry. Okay, I was going to say, and they and um, and the chain bookstores together both have a browsability that no website can really match because while they can have the little algorithms can suggest to you like books that you may like, um, th- you that's going to be like twenty books, like the whole ability to just walk down an aisle. And see something and have you, have you jump your brain go, oh wait, that, yeah, I remember hearing about that from my friend and being able to just pick it up and look at it. It's just not there unless you're willing to spend like 20 hours on Amazon, which no one is. And you know, people, uh, I think this is behind, you know, another huge trend that in the decade that has nothing to do with comics. It's adjacent. It's like the return of Dungeons and Dragons. But, you know, I think that is also just people want to, 
see other people yes. and do things and hold things in their hands and do physical things and not just be sitting on their computers all day. I think yeah. that has a curated uh, inventory of books. Uh, it's great to have. I mean, Amazon has more books uh, than any yeah. bookstore. Uh, Barnes and Noble has really pricey and expensive real estate that they have to maintain. Smaller stores in uh, out-of-the-way places in communities where big stores, big box stores are not going to go. They have an advantage. They have lower overhead. They still, I mean, it's still a tough business. Don't get me wrong. But they have found ways to compete. They have found yeah. ways. And, in communi- and communities have starting to realize that if you buy all your books at Amazon, you will not have that place to take your kid to see the latest books to come out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that comic shops, I, I've said, I've said this a million times in this podcast. Uh, comic shops need to be considered a certain kind of indie bookstore now. They do. And, and, you know, one of the key, uh, you know, columns of the year was one that Brian Hibbs wrote for the beat, uh, retailer Brian Hibbs, and he talked about how he, uses multiple distributors to buy books now. And, you know, we were noticing that Diamonds, Diamond Comics distributors, graphic novels kind of have been going down and declining. And I was like, huh, how come they're selling so few? It's because the shops are going to others because Diamond isn't keeping up with it. Yeah, because a lot... What was another one of the stories of the decade is that um, comics publishers, even ones not run by book publishers, are going... To the distribution channels designed for books, mm-hmm. and they're taking their graphic novels and saying, "Hey, Diamond's not good at getting these into bookstores. Can you help us?" So by the end of the decade, there really is only one major comics publisher who's still with Diamond for Diamond Books, and that's Image. And they have a lot of clout because if they left Diamond, there would be no Diamond Books distribution. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, Boom is with Simon and Schuster. Um, you know, Viz is with Simon and Schuster. Uh, DC is with. Uh, as Rand- I understand, it, Lion Forge is also with Simon and Schuster. Uh, as I understand it, uh, sitting down with us, Simon is just a representative. Well, there the were, you know, there is no Lion Forge anymore. Well, well Oni is, Oni is, but Oni, Oni, no, yes. no, Oni is with Simon. And Oni originally yeah. was with Simon. Yes, Simon Oni's Schuster. been with Simon Oni Schuster Fortich. all. Yeah, so, Oni's um, been with them all along. So, yeah. uh, but I had a conversation with this about with a. Yeah. SNS representative. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, in, in, and Marvel is through Hachette, by the yes, way. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, of course, is that, you know, book trade distribution is, um, um, returnable. Uh, you know, the risk is shared by the publisher, uh, and the retailer. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, let's see. What other, what were some of the uh, other big stories? Uh, well, the rise of Kickstarter. Holy crap. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Kickstarter and crowdfunding in general. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we saw across the decade, we saw a million dollar comic book, Rich Burlow's, uh, uh, order of the stick on Kickstarter. Although that did, didn't come out for a long time. Yeah, I know. It but was he's not only, right. It was not <laughs> only the first of the big box. Kickstarters. It was the first big box Kickstarter that didn't come out for a long time. For a while. Uh, Of course, Spike Trotman Mm -hmm. um, hit Mm -hmm. a million dollars in funds raised on on Kickstarter um, and published through Iron Circus. Uh, I'm sure there's some other things in here. Well, love. uh, Yeah, well, there's a simple trend, which is that on Kickstarter, books initially started that it was small, small publishers, small or, or passion projects for writers who couldn't get their stuff out other ways. Yeah. And by by like two or three years ago, pe- major publishers were saying, "Oh, can you Kickstarter this book, audience? If you want this book, give us money." 
Yeah. 2013, Fantagraphic funded its entire spring list. <laughs> $222,000 raised on Kickstarter to fund their entire spring list. I know, list right? Of I'd, 40 titles. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, a major I, I, event. Yeah. So, uh, and along with uh, Kickstarter, obviously, came the other ones, um, you know, uh, Indiegogo and oh, yes. Patreon, uh, oh, which is yes, a different model. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Patreon has become very, very mm. popular for a lot of cartoonists, yeah. a lot of writers. They have, like, I was on there for a while myself and um you know just as a way to kind of monetize uh but yeah and you know we were skeptical i mean the first time uh, you know there was a lot of skeptic remember the famous sell your boots post on the <laughs> by dan nadell on you know and now i think he did a kickstarter so i remember there was a lot of uh, odd hostility coming from the indie comics yeah. very well very I, strange well i uh, it was sort of this whole notion that, you know, you've got to suffer the way I did and not have any money. <laughs> yeah, but then also then there was a the second wave of hostility, which made a little more sense toward publishers going to the same well as the creators uh, competing for reader dollars in the passing the hat game. And they were like, why are you passing the hat? You're a corporation. Um but, you know, I mean, I, I understand the business model and I get why they did it. But it definitely, like, that hostility was a little more understandable. Yeah, I mean, totally. But, but you know what? By the end of the, the decade, Kickstarter is so uh, established, except now they have internal problems because of the threat, you know, threat. I mean, the, the, the employees want to unionize. There's been, right. a, like, a lot. I mean, this is kind of a trend everywhere. Kickstarter is kind of acting like a giant Yeah, they're acting like a big giant jerk corporation. Yeah. And uh, some people are uncomfortable with that. Um, but they've had a tremendous impact on the independent publishing sphere. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and on my wallet. Because when you walk through indie comics festivals, you know, that, that big $100 beautifully designed, beautifully produced book is probably funded by Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> so another huge trend was um, the rise of graphic novels and libraries. I mean, and, oh, you know, yeah. culminating, Absolutely. culminating in the creation of the graphic novel and comics roundtable. Yes. Yeah. And um, I mean, this was just, uh, you know, this. I, I, I think hand in hand with kids, and I think. Like, it, this is a little chicken and the egg, too, because I know libraries were among the earliest supporters of kids' comics because they, librarians, would look at the numbers and see what was circulating, yes. and the graphic novels were doing so well, so they started to buy more of them, and the uh, publishers started to put out more of them. So it really has been this very, very uh, nurturing or symbiotic relationship. And, um, you know, the GNCRT announced that they're going to start doing a list of yes. best graphic novels for adults. For adults yeah. Which is kind of the final frontier yes. uh, in the library marketplace. Uh, the kids' side is, is over. Kids in YA, that, yeah. that's been one. Uh, the adult, there's still adult librarians who, you know, kind of want to, you know, what are these funny books with the pictures in them? Yeah. So, um, but And they'll okay. be like, they uh, now the big bane of parents, not so much teenagers, but their parents in libraries is... The librarian who doesn't get it, who puts the adult graphic novel in the teen section, <laughs> yeah. and the parents are like, wait, what? I'd like to read this, but Junior should probably not for a couple years. Yeah, so, you know, you want the librarians on, on your side, and yes. we've got them. Um, so, yeah, more to come. <laughs> yeah, so uh, turning to the uh, big two, uh, so to speak. So, D.C., 
Uh, I mean, the new 52 was one of the oh, biggest stories yeah. of the decade. Were we around then? That was before our time, right? That was before uh, the It was podcast. actually no, it was right as right we were there. starting. That's right. We it talked, was in the first episode. That's right. Heidi. We talked oh, about, we talked There's, about that last time. Now we talked about the new 52. So, um, it, it's interesting because I do think like comics, traditional comic sales were a bit in the doldrums at the start of the decade and, you know, they, they had, they had surged a little bit with Marvel's Ultimates and then they were kind of flaggy again and DC, Dan Dio came up with the idea of this new 52 thing and, uh, you know, they went hard on it and it got a lot of attention and really, I, I've heard a lot of comics retailers say that it really revitalized the whole industry. It just got so many, they spent a lot of money to market it and a lot of people started coming to shops. I think the rising tide did lift a lot of uh, boats. I think it did too and it really generated a lot of discussion and in fact I would direct our listeners to uh, the Publishers Weekly um, a database on the site because we reviewed every single oh my god issue that's one. right we had we this huge project we all did. 52 we did. First, first issues, issues. and I will say they varied highly in quality oh, yeah. some of them were brilliant if yeah. weird some of them were just plain old brilliant and some of them were maybe filler to make the number 52. And because for some reason, DC's super into the number 52. Well, that's a Dan DiDio thing. And you know what? But I, I've, written, I've forgotten about that. But you know, now that you bring it up, and I think that's one of the things that made the, the initiative so successful. Somehow or other, everyone wanted to get the whole set, mm-hmm. you know? And, I and I mean, they did a great, collect ro- them all. They did a really <laughs> great rollout. Cause I remember they said they were going to do all the, announce all the books over the course of a week. And then like you'd wake up every morning and there would be this email that said who was on the books and there were some new creators who were quite exciting on them and it was they really made it fun I don't know if you could do that any, yeah. anymore well they tried with Rebirth didn't I mean it did well but it didn't quite you it know it didn't have the number of issues in the title of the series Heidi <laughs> so people didn't feel the completest need to have them all I should have been and you know you can go also go back to our mm. podcast because we talked about every single issue and we really uh, and, including you know and great corporate strategy. So uh, there you go. And we should also mention that uh, this ties into the the impact of digital Mm. because that was when DC went day of date for all of its digital releases. Yeah, that's correct. That was the other big part of it. Release time as their print comics. And it it, it ended up having a major impact even on how retailers saw digital. They went from being terrified of it to actually seeing that digital was sending people into stores looking yeah. for print. Yeah, and you know that's a that was a event that rose all boats, right? But it can go the opposite way, as we saw with events during this period, because the just absolutely disastrous mm-hmm. uh, Captain America as a member of Hydra storyline yes. that went on and on and on and on sank Marvel sales so as let, a whole so, for a year. So let me talk about this actually yeah. because I, you know, one of my stories on the beat that I'm so very proud of was the not so secret history of Marvel's seven relaunches in five years. Uh, oh, and interesting. I, I did a Heidi. list. So Tell there was, so they, you know, they were, everybody asked Marvel, will you relaunch the way new DC did? They said, no, they, they wouldn't, but they would keep doing these. They wouldn't reboot, but they would do these launches. So there was Marvel now in 2012. Yeah. Then there was all new Marvel now in 2013. <laughs> and then there was Avengers now in 2014. Then there was all new, all different Marvel in 2015, followed by Marvel now again in 2016 and then Marvel Legacy in 2017 and then in 2018 Marvel Fresh Start. Now they're I, all totally meaningless. Yes. And I I have to say I think you know Marvel had some I think 
uh, well, I don't know. Marvel's a lot more secretive than DC. Uh, you know, they did do the whole Cap Hydra storyline, which was obviously predicated on Hillary Clinton becoming president, but when Donald Trump did, it just didn't seem I, funny anymore. I don't think it was funny all along to the fans. Right. But, uh, you know, I want to point out one thing. Marvel sales did not tank during this they period. They tanked for Marvel. Marvel was no longer number one. Yes, they were. It. Oh, I, yes, they were. Yeah, they, there was maybe one month that DC was number one. No. But David, that's not normal. DC's never it number one, It was the one, month that Heidi. they did Rebirth. It wasn't, you know what? I, it was, it was not, it was not a good year. But for you know, Marvel. we have, we didn't have this on the story list and we, we, I'm keeping, I'm timekeeper here. I'm told that I have the biggest waveforms and I'm also playing timekeeper so we can't go into a seven hour discussion. I wasn't of this. going to go into no, seven no, 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 hour no. discussion. But I was just going to say that one of the things that was another big story of the decade, unfortunately, was the rise of Comics Gate and, yes. well, and, yeah. and, absolutely. and the absolute toxic fandom. And I will say, you know, a lot of really great, well meaning people well meaning is the wrong word uh, you know people who are intelligent and caring like yourself Kate hated the Cap storyline but there was a lot of comic skaters who turned against Marvel in that time also yeah, see it wasn't it wasn't strictly com- <clears throat> it's one of those things where every once in a while many people will dislike something for many different yes. reasons yes and it was not even primarily comic skaters that hated it you would be hard pressed to find a social justice loving comics fan who thought that Hydra Hap was a good idea. Oh, no, yeah, no, 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 so, no, yeah. You know what? Marvel did something very well also during the decade, which are at least they attempted to by introducing more diversity yes. uh, yeah. with Miles Morales and Ms. Marvel. We're going to get into that in yeah. a minute. And, well, in our retailers uh, survey, they cited often that they loved it. Yes. They were not against that. Right. No, but we're, we're, I'm not saying yeah. anything against. No, no, we're not you. Not you. But, but it seems like conflating. Um, to be in favor of the more diverse heroes is not to be in favor of Captain America being not. Absolutely not. not. No, absolutely absolutely not. not. No, no. No, absolutely not. But, I, I think the diverse heroes were great. And I also think that Marvel made some missteps. Uh, yeah. yeah, Marvel. So. Maybe this is a good time to yeah. talk about another major impact of this decade: the drive toward diversity, yes. inclusion, uh, both on <clears throat> the creator side and in the storylines and the characters that have, have been developed. Uh, certainly, the LGBTQ community uh, has a strong, strong people of color, women in particular. I mean, you can even tie that into uh, Kickstarter because I remember the Womanthology the, was, one, was of the, one of the first Kickstarters. One yeah. of those first big grossing Kickstarters. I think uh, it raised over 150 grand or something like that. So this is a major theme um, uh, of the decade uh, as marginalized communities across the board stepped up uh, made demands um, and just showed off the ability to, hey, we're fans too. Yeah, and it went both ways, from the outside in and from the inside out. So, um, <clears throat> ma- major publishers made efforts in the area, in the, in the direction of diversity. Some wildly some successful, <laughs> some well intentioned, but less successful. Um, some of the big successes were uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel. Yes, absolutely. Um, but those should not be allowed to outshine the great success of a lot of, you know, 
outside in of of creators from outside the big publishers who belong to different non-white male straight groups publishing their own comics which really hit the big time and you know i think this is i mean absolutely crowdfunding had a huge part to do absolutely this. you know and social media has become is a very double-edged sword but it giving voice to a lot of people who it had sure to silence the marginalized and you know the queer representation of comics just soared yeah, yeah, yes. during this decade flame con became a thing <laughs> and uh if you're well, ever in new york for flame con time come on in absolutely yeah, um, and, and just yeah. in terms of creators, I mean, there were so many more trans creators, obviously. Yes. Um and yeah, that was that was really great to see. And you know, I I mean, Marvel. Uh, just to finish, I mean, segue to Marvel. I mean, you just can't touch them. You know, like they got purchased by uh, Disney just before the decade began. Um, during the rise, I mean, outside of comics, like aside from kids' graphic novels, the biggest thing of the decade was the MCU. I mean, yes, absolutely. I mean, on, no on it's question. the most imitated. It's the most watched. The Avengers Endgame is the most po- successful movie of all time. I mean, it just you know, like like niche characters like Star Lord and suddenly became Groot huge. Are household names yeah. now. Everyone yeah. knows who Groot is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The MCU. Absolutely was the biggest thing of the, uh, the decade. And, you know, Kevin Feige's ability, you know, to, to pull it off is, is, uh, he just does, does deserve a lot of praise. And then as it Absolutely. ended for the next decade, you know, now they're really going obscure. The, the Eternals? I mean, holy crap. Uh, Black Panther, uh, the Captain Marvel movie. Finally, we had very successful movies starring guys who went of streaming services oh. that will be carrying all manner of adaptations of comics and everything else. Not to mention, Infinite spin-offs of the MCU. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that's what I, it's interesting. I'm, uh, uh, since the original um, Netflix um, models yeah. have ended, where will we be going in this new world of DC Disney Plus and uh, well, if it's anything like the Mandalorian, oh my God! Uh, I know that's Star Wars, but Jeepers, what? I mean, then that's the happy. Oh, how can you? I ever okay? Another podcast. It is actually relevant because. That is actually, the Star Wars comics were part of the whole Disney acquiring everything on Earth synergy, um, where Disney bought Marvel, Disney bought Star Wars. Disney had Marvel make good Star Wars comics. That's right. They sold for money. Now Disney is making TV shows for Marvel and TV shows for Star Wars and putting them on the same service. Yeah. So it is kind of relevant. Well, it all well, comes around. Well, it is. And I, I, I mean, you know, if you trust Kevin Feige, I mean, when will he fail? You know, I mean, like, will this be the day that he fails? I don't know. There he have been a, days when he's been more successful than yeah, other days. Absolutely. But he hasn't had a flop. But There's, overall, yeah. he's going overall, he's so, doing great. So meanwhile, however, meanwhile, over on the CW, DC was getting, uh, you know, pitching a tent, man, because they have like 10 hours a week of content over there. Yeah, it's it started with just Arrow, mm-hmm. and it has expanded infinitely. How many of these shows do you watch, Kate? Well, currently <laughs> I watch one. One? I watch Legends of Tomorrow, and my plan is to binge watch a bunch of Batwoman uh, 
when I have a couple days to binge watch. So, but I mean, there's holidays. There's, holidays. There's Batwoman. There's Supergirl. There's Black yeah. Lightning. I mean, Arrow I, is I ending. There tried was, them. There they was uh, all delicious. There's the so Flash. Much. There's actually, you know, and this this should have been mentioned in uh, 2019. There's Watchmen. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? We we should talk on our next show. We should talk about. I I, I charge you. I mean, watch the Mandalorian. I'm telling you. Guys. I really want to. And uh, and Watchmen. I, I don't have Disney Plus yet. Just get but it for I, a week for free and watch I do the think Mandalorian. We should talk about Watchmen in the new year. Yeah. Um, I I was unhappy with the finale, if not the series. But, mm. but it deserves its own. It show. does. Yeah, it does. we should discuss it. In but I mean, the point is, everything yes. is a TV show now. Yes. There's so yes. much though. That literally, it is impossible for me as someone with a full-time job and a side gig such as this podcast to watch all, the, even just the DC shows. I'm not talking all the... The yeah. Well, there was there was The Walking Dead. There was Preacher. There was yeah, I Zombie. Even, there was Lucifer. There but, was but the Runaways. There was pro- but but all of those but. Watch all of those, but Walking Dead and Runaways are all DC properties. Yeah, DC has licensed like crazy. It's not just the CW bunch; they've also, you know, iZombie and Lucifer well, they, and anything much, you can turn into a procedural. There was Gotham. There was Krypton. Yeah, yeah. they've done much better on the TV side. Yeah. They than, really have than, the t- than on the, the feature film. This is just yes. off the top of my head, by the way. So. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and um, um, I mean, say what you will about how successful Disney Marvel has been, their TV end of things has been less successful than DC, which is not criticism because DC is just doing amazing. The Inhumans. Uh, yeah, okay, that is criticism. The Inhumans. <laughs> nah, try again later. Um, but yeah. DC is hitting it out of the park on TV, so, you know, hopefully Marvel can learn something from Disney on the TV end, and DC can learn something from Marvel on the movie end. Well, the point is, we're at a huge streaming war right now. Yes. You know, Disney Plus has launched... um, their Marvel content is yet to come. However, it's uh, it's a it's a hit. I mean, the Mandalorian is is the only happy thing that people are talking about now. Yeah. Um, uh, Warner's uh, is AT and T is planning to launch HBO Max next year, and it hasn't really talked about um, how the DC streaming properties will be integrated. But I'm sure they will be integrated. Actually, didn't they announce a Legion TV show or something? I they, don't know. They've announced. Is there some Warner service coming to? Yeah, that's HBO Max. That, that's yeah. HBO Max. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any, and Netflix, I mean, Netflix may have had a hit of, uh, The End of the Bleeping World, uh, Hilda, uh, yeah. uh it just, you know, Daybreak, although that got canceled. I mean, I'm it going just to, goes on and on. I'm going to be honest. I'm probably like a lot of people in that I have a streaming service budget, and if I need to add, if I need to add one, I need to cancel one. So, like, I'm mentally scheduling my head, okay, I'm gonna finish watching this and this on Crunchyroll, and then I'll cancel, and then I'll start Disney Plus, and then when I'm done watching what I want on there, then I'll cancel, then I can pick something else up. Mm. You know, but I, I only have so much room on my slate. So, world, you mentioned you mentioned Crunchyroll. I mean, it was a huge uh, decade for anime it uh, streaming. It absolutely was. Anime streaming has been so, so strong. For all Disney... Sorry... But Freudian slip that's very telling for all Netflix <laughs> is trying to block out the sun on anime streaming. Um, other streaming companies are pushing back hard. So you've got 
Crunchyroll, um, continuing on strong. You've got various different streamlets on Amazon as well as Am- as well as Amazon itself. All you know, pushing anime streaming. You have Netflix with a huge back catalog. Um, you know, there's just more anime than ever available to people who aren't even paying extra to see anime. And as so it's great for discovery, and I think it's been pushing a new golden age of manga. And as yeah, as we've mentioned on the podcast many times, that there's been selling a lot of physical manga as well. Uh, yeah, it's and, been helping. Oh, yes, <clears throat> absolutely. I mean, that's another actually aspect of the, the last ten years. The manga industry has bounced back, yeah, and it's bounced back strong. And I it mean, has. you know, that's from like Borders going under, which was had a huge impact. Uh, it is, did, but yeah. uh, guess what? It's it's back. It's back, and it's back very strong. Uh, I'm just uh, since we're back on the publishing side here, I, I would uh, I would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the first graphic novel to win uh, a National Book Award. Uh, March book three. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it won the National Book Award, but all three volumes were a massive hit uh, on the book sales side. Uh, Tell our listeners what it is. C- congratulations. Oh, well, it's a the uh, memoir and record of the civil rights uh, movement, um, John Lewis's, Representative John Lewis's memoir. Uh, so shout out to him and his creative team of Andrew Iden and Nate Powell. Um you know, they, they, they not only cleaned up on sales, uh, the National Book Award wasn't the only literary prize. There was a lot of books that, that were shortlisted for literary awards in the decade. Um, in England, uh, I believe it was, oh, yeah. uh, Daughter of My Father's Eyes was nominated yeah. for the Costa Prize. Uh, I think, uh, this, uh, Alison Sunderland actually won the prize. I know Brian Talbot was very active. Um, and then just recently, Sabrina, which is published in the United States, or, uh, well, in Canada, pardon me, by Drawn and Quarterly, was, uh, in our hemisphere, sorry. Uh, just annex it, yeah. Uh, was, uh, 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 you know, shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize, uh, which is the biggest literary prize in England. Uh, I mean, constant. I mean, there was, you know, so many prizes that started up. Uh, you know, Penn State has this, uh, this oh, pen yes. prize. Uh, LA Times gives out a prize for yes. their book prizes now. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was, it, and, and of course all that just, just, you know, the acclaim helps libraries, helps educators. Um, it was just a, a beautiful cycle of growth. We are living in the world of comics that we imagined, uh, you know, 15 years ago. We really are. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the trends that we started talking about at the beginning of this decade have really come through. The things that we were saying, this is what comics needs, this is where comics should be going, it got there. I guess yeah. we did it then. Do you, yeah, think it was just, yeah. do you think it was just people listening to the podcast that got these ideas, guys? You Why know, not? <laughs> I think it was that we were hooked into the cultural zeitgeist, Heidi. Yeah. And well. we just, we just, Felt the flow. So I'm going to give a little plug here. Uh, so on the beat, uh, the staff of the beat, uh, for the last mm, month or so, we've been working on best ofs. Mm, so yes. we did do uh, best comics of the decade. We did a list of 100 comics. I mean, and easily yeah, the, the short list that we, I mean, everybody nominated books. And the list of, of all the books that were nominated was about 250 titles. And trust me, there was really i would say about 230 of those were really good strong books um and uh but you know it was it was we we got a good list of of 100 it's uh it's right on the front page if you go to the front page there's a little like i'm trying to go down hold on well it should be see there it is yeah it's in one of these oh Oh, you can't read it because the type's too small note to self make type well i've been i've gone over this list and it's excellent 
So, uh, yeah, and we didn't, we didn't, um, we didn't, you know, rank it, but, uh, I would say that if there was a book of the decade, uh, I think it might be, um, looking at the critics poll. I mean, I think Hawkeye among the superhero books was absolutely one of the top books of the decade. Um, I think Building Stories is one of the top books of the decade. Um, I think, uh, March, uh, Prince of Cats. Prince of Cats. I think Prince of Cats. Yes, is absolutely. I, I think March is number one, though. Yeah, but you know what? Oh, there's one book we're forgetting. What is that Can book, you Heidi? guys? My favorite thing, thing is, is Monsters. Monsters. How could we possibly forget it? <laughs> that book is fabulous. Yes, and, 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 and in particular because it's in it. <laughs> 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 How could I possibly? Oh my God! Oh, so, oh, we had to the, cl- close out this decade. Jokes on me, with, but you know what? I'm happy to laugh along with you. Yeah. Okay. So what was some of you? Okay. So why don't we close out with one thing that's really making us happy here today yeah. at the end of this decade? Okay. Well, before uh, I say what, well, do that. Do one thing making us happy now, but also pick one of our favorite like books of the decade. Okay. So let's uh, putting y'all on the spot. I mean, I just made my list, so I'm like, you know, I can totally do it. Well, um, I just picked one. Okay. Yeah. Well, Chris okay. Katz is is um, just an extraordinary work. Okay, so uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention a book that wasn't on the list, which was Rosalie Lightning by Tom Hart. That's going on the hundred first. Oh, yeah, yeah oh. that's an incredible book. Uh, no, so, um, yeah, Kate. You know, I have been ducking out on doing decade best lists because my brain is moosh and I only have so many hours in a day. Um, so I really haven't been thinking back in a decadely way about books. <laughs> so I got nothing. Um, but the thing that's making me very happy is um, something that just came on my radar very, very recently, which is finally, 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 after having announced four years ago and after me wanting to do a podcast episode about it for four years. Yes. Uh, Rose of Versailles yeah. is coming to yeah. Listeners, if there uh-huh. is any such thing as as a fate or luck for podcasts, we will have a Rose of Versailles <laughs> episode by hook or by crook, even if it's just me sitting in the in the studio ranting about Rose of Versailles. Oh my god, it's like this is like the uh, next to last episode of Breaking Bad where this Walter is, White vows to go home, man. This is like Moby Dick. <laughs> so podcast. So, uh, all right. And I've already mentioned on this podcast, but I, I just have to be 100% honest. The Mandalorian, I wake up. It, it starts streaming on Friday mornings, although this week was on Wednesday. On Friday mornings, I wake up. I make breakfast. I watch The Mandalorian, and it is the highlight of my week. Calvin, okay. just before we go, what was your, what's making you happy right now? Uh, what's making me happy right now? You know, I, I, as far as a book is concerned, I'd have to say uh, Pittsburgh by Frank, uh, Frank Centaur. I, I, I think oh. he's he's combined great traditional emotional storytelling with an absolutely experimental approach to drawing that is beautiful, and, and it's completely unusual but absolutely gorgeous. So that's what I'm thinking about. Now. And then what else? That's not what's, a book. what's right now that's making you happy. What else? Oh, it's not a book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Yankee sign Garrett Cole. Hey, I'm a happy well, camper. You know, okay. there's always something to love. Well, <laughs> guys, well, yeah. guys, we spent the whole decade podcasting just about, and um, you know, we had huge success at it, and the world we envisioned has come to pass. Uh, but we're not done yet no, because no. there will be more 
two, come.